an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and we've got a full studio today. We've got Bob Savage and Kevin Wilson here with us. Ahoy, yes, and uh, prayers for Puerto Rico, by the way. Yeah, yeah We've got the, like the seven plagues going on there. First of all, they had hurricanes, now they've got earthquakes, and of course they're, the island's run by Democrats, and so, I mean... <laughs> What what uh, what's going to happen next, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, as as much as people do complain about the weather in New York, that's not what forces them to leave. By the way, but people do complain about the weather. Um, but we don't have hurricanes typically. We don't have earthquakes, tornadoes. You know, you don't get any of that fun stuff. No poisonous snakes, no. really either. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, scorpions, you know, bugs the size of baseballs, those sort yeah. of things. No, I, I grew up in Florida, old southern Georgia, northern Florida, essentially. And yeah, now I remember some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so today's conversation, um, originally I wanted to do like criminal justice reform as a whole. And as we were digging into bail reform, I realized there is just no way. That, that I'm going that we're gonna be able to cover all this. Um, so I think today we're gonna focus solely on bail reform. Some of the things I did want to talk about, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a, a preview, I guess, of what we'll do in another show. I did want to talk about um, some of the witness public information stuff that I've been seeing floating around Facebook and some other criminal justice reform items that. Uh, you know, there's some fake news floating around about, but then there's also some legitimate concerns, but it's, there just will not be time today. So today is going to be the bail reform day. Yeah, we won't get to defense discovery either. And, no, yeah, probably not. No. Um, but to kind of set the stage, one of the things I've realized is people don't really know what bail is. They don't know what it's meant for. They don't know the history of bail, where it came from, what its use is, you know, all this stuff. So I wanted to start the show off with just um, that little bit of information because I think that's already starting to cause confusion about how bail reform works because people don't know its history. They don't know where it came from and what its original intent was. Um, and, and you guys will see as we talk that we haven't actually been using bail as described. And, and the reason for that is we've got some broken pieces to our system. Which I, I think we all know that the system's broken, um, but I think this is really shining a light on those issues. So um, let me just give you guys a little bit of background. You know, we have this whole idea of innocent until proven guilty. Um, I prefer the term, though, innocent unless proven guilty, 
because until proven guilty is kind of like the system is just gonna beat you and pummel you until they can find a way. <laughs> until they get it. Yeah. Until no, actually, they I get heard Larry it. talking about that. Larry Sharp yeah, talking about the other yeah. day. I was like, actually, that's that's a way better framing for yep. how the justice system is supposed to work. Exactly. So so there right away, I talk about language on the show often and how we need to adjust our language and how we talk about things. And that that is uh, something I'm working on is is switching that conversation to innocent unless proven guilty. So um, let's let's talk about bail. Just the basic definition of bail is um, let me. I'm just going to read it to you guys. So bail is a set of pre-trial restrictions. They're imposed on a suspect to ensure that they comply with the judicial process. Bail is the conditional release of a defendant with the promise to appear in court when required. So you guys may have noticed there's no like bail is cash, bail is property. Um, no, bail is a set of restrictions, um, which could be many things. And one of the things that you guys hear me talk about often is the idea of if somebody is truly a flight risk, is cash the appropriate thing to use for bail? Um, can we not use ankle bracelets instead, which are already purchased and sitting and collecting dust, according to a lot of various like police officers and district attorneys I've spoken with? Um, you know, so bail is bail is not necessarily cash or property. It's yeah. it's a set of restrictions. Yeah, and it's aimed to get people to show up in court, right, or to comply Correct. with whatever the judicial process is. Because, yep. again, just because someone has had bail set on them doesn't necessarily mean that they are guilty of the crime that still hasn't been proven yet. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And um, you can actually do a search. I had it open. I don't have it open anymore. Um, but there's a list of, like, forms of bail. And I was surprised. There's, like, 15 different types of, like, commonly used types of bail. You know, everything from cash to personal property to bond um, to, you know, ankle bracelet monitoring, um, all the way through like uh, pre-trial release programs, you know. So there, there are a lot of forms of bail. Now, the history of bail in the United States actually goes pre-independence, which, you know, it's one of those things when you sit there and you go, yeah, when, when did – who thought about bail? When, when did that come about? Um, we got it from England. And the Virginia Constitution, for example, in 1776, before we even did the whole independence thing, um, originally stated excessive bail ought not to be required. And then they modified it a little bit in 1785, and they added in an additional um, protection that says those shall not be let to bail who are apprehended for any crime not punishable in life or limb – um, I, I'm assuming that's like capital crime. I'm not sure what the limb part means. I don't know. Was that like you steal something, we'll take your hand type thing? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but if a crime be punishable by life or limb, or if it be manslaughter and there be good cause to believe the party guilty thereof, he shall not be admitted to bail. So what this essentially says is, you know, in Virginia, way back in the beginning, they were thinking – you know, bail is just one of those things that that you're really not supposed to be using um, for for anything that's not a capital 
offense or a capital crime. Like you killed somebody, eh, you know, bail is not that big of a thing. Um, now, also uh, keep in mind how many laws were then there back then. <laughs> you know, not quite as many. Not, as not now. quite as many, right? So a lot less laws. Um, the Pennsylvania Constitution also added in 1776, um, excessive bail shall not be exacted for bailable offenses, and all fines shall be moderate. So, so here we go. We've got a couple of the original state constitutions talking about bail, what it was meant to be. And then we've got this other thing called the federal constitution. And I know Bob's got pocket constitution over there. Oh, well, uh, yeah. that's, that's my, Kevin, Kevin's that's, got one. That's yep. my cue. There's, there's Bob's cue. Um, uh, by the way, real quick, back to, back to the uh, uh, you know, not excessive bail. The, the uh, rationale behind that was uh, they, uh, they did not want – the authorities back then did not want bail to become a form of, uh, of punishment in and of itself yep. uh, prior yep. to the uh, adjudication of, of guilt. Yeah. No, a- absolutely. So we have this thing called the Eighth Amendment. You know, and and you know, so all of you on listening to the air right now, if you pull out your pocket constitution, um, Bob's got one, and and I think the Eighth Amendment is about bail. You you got it for us, Bob? Uh, yes, I do. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. So it's kind of a a one-two punch on that one. It uh, goes in a couple different directions at once, but notice. I mean, the thing is what? It's like 19 words long. Yeah. That's the beauty of the the, the simplicity of the Bill of Rights. Yeah, brief, to the point, like, you know, the Understandable by anyone. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So so I wanted to set this stage for us, um, talking about the history of bail, what it's defined as, you know, what the founding fathers intended for bail to be. Um, even before we signed the Declaration of Independence, they, they were talking about this, they were thinking about this, and then when we created our Constitution, they thought it important enough to actually include as an amendment of the Constitution. So, guys, we're going to take a brief break here on the show. When we come back, we're going to talk just a little bit more about the history, and then we're going to roll right into New York's current bail reforms. You're listening to Radio Free New York. Your business relies on computers and technology to operate. Slow, unreliable networks and servers can cause unplanned downtime and affect your bottom line. The experts at Simple Tech Innovations are here to help. Their preventative maintenance program ensures that your computers and network are kept up to date and monitored for any issues, keeping your business running smoothly. They also help clients achieve HIPAA, PCI, and New York State cybersecurity compliance to keep your network safe. Safe and secure. Whatever your business IT needs are, Simple Tech Innovations should be your first call. They've won the best in Rochester eight years in a row and have an A plus Better Business Bureau rating. Call them today for a free consultation at 585 200 3182. That's 585 200 3182. Simple Tech Innovations. You're listening to Radio Free New York. 
All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about bail reform, specifically to New York State. Um, but before we're talking about the actual reform, we're just talking a little bit about what bail is, the history of bail reform, or just history of bail, really, in general, to make sure that you guys know when you see posts on Facebook or you're talking with a friend, a family member, a coworker, um, that you can help them understand what bail truly is, because we're going to talk about what bail has turned into and then how this bail reform in New York has really highlighted some, I think, gaping holes in our criminal justice system. Um, so where we left off, we we're just talking about, you know, bail is so important that the founding fathers put it in the Eighth Amendment of our federal constitution. And before that, the Virginia Constitution, the Pennsylvania Constitution, they specifically address bail. Um, it's possible the other states or colonies had addressed it as well, but those were the first two I found. Um, I'm sure there are more. So what I do want to bring up to you guys is the Bail Reform Act of 1996. I think this is important because there's some specific language in there that um, I, I think really kind of solidified the initial intent of bail. Was this uh, state or federal? This, this well, is federal. Right. This is federal specifically. Um, it, it essentially expanded the bail rights of federal criminal defendants um, by giving giving non-capital defendants the right to be released pending their trial on their own recognizance or personal bond. And what, what that essentially means is um, the judge kind of like looks at you and goes – you know what? I don't think you're a flight risk. Um, you're you're attached to your community. You have a job. I don't think you're going to skip out on town. Um, I believe that you're going to show up to court. So therefore, I'm going to release you on your own recognizance, which is essentially not bail, um, which I have been to court cases in New York where I've seen this happen. Um, I've also been in court cases in New York where I've seen the exact opposite happen, where the judge um, – doesn't address any of those issues, just looks at the crime and goes, oh, yeah, I, I don't like that. You know what? Your bail's going to be $50,000 because I know you can't afford to pay it, and therefore I will now be able to hold you in jail, which is not the purpose of that's, bail. Yeah, it's not it's, at all how that's meant to be used. Eighth, exactly. eighth Amendment there, folks. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, so the important part that I just want to pull out of the Bail Reform Act of 1996 is that it specifically did not permit a judge to consider a suspect's danger to the community unless it was a capital case, or um, and it did not authorize a judge um, to to do anything like that. So when setting bail, um, the judge was not allowed to sit there, according to this law, which hasn't been changed since. Um, the judge couldn't say, you know what, I think you're a dangerous person, so I'm going to hold you on bail. And this this piece, I think, is really important because of the news articles that we've seen circulating um, a lot. And we're, we're going to address that later. But it's it's clear to me that many of us misunderstand the purpose of bail. And the judges have been kind of hacking the system a little bit. They're like, well, I don't have a way to hold you because maybe I think you're dangerous. So I'm going to misuse this piece of the criminal justice system. Yeah. They'll, they'll look at their income and say, well, I want to hold you for whatever reason. I don't have a legal mechanism for doing that, so I'll set the bail higher than I know you can pay. Yep. And so you will sit in you know, Monroe County Jail or whatever county jail system that they're mm -hmm. in, and 
wait there until their trial. Yeah, yeah. And I and I would reference a Safe Act case that I sat through in I think it was Niagara County about three years ago, where the judge went, "Oh, it's Safe Act case. Okay, where do you work here? Oh, you're making just a little above minimum wage. Great, five thousand dollars bail." Why? Because I know you can't afford it. Um, and that is literally what they did to this person to keep them in jail, um, prevented this person from going to work. They end up missing work, ultimately lost their job. Now they can't <laughs> – A, they couldn't afford bail. They couldn't afford their court key court fees if they wanted to because they were withheld from working, which then meant you know they ended up losing their job on top of that. And then ultimately forced a plea deal on this person because they had no options. Um, and there's a really interesting study that I found um, done in New Jersey, and there were a couple others that lined up pretty similarly that showed that if you can't afford to post your bail, and if you're sitting um, in jail during your sentencing in the whole court trial process, that statistically speaking, your sentencing is going to be harsher. And it's going to be longer, and it creates bias for a jury in a jury trial. Um, so, so these are things that anybody—I don't care if you're a conservative, a progressive, you sit on the left or the right—you um, you should be very concerned about this. If you live in New York State and you know how blue the state is and you know that you have Second Amendment rights that are being trampled on and you think that maybe someday the SAFE Act is going to be used against you or maybe red flag laws and somehow you might end up in a position where you're in front of a judge and you know they would be considering bail, you should be sitting there thinking, oh yeah, this is, this is a problem. Like bail's been used in ways that it shouldn't have been. Um, and while bail clearly has a place in the Constitution, it's not being used that way, and it should be very scary to you. Yeah, it could happen to you too. Yeah, no, absolutely. It it definitely could because at any moment if a judge says, oh, you had an AR-15, hmm, you know what I don't like? I don't like AR-15s. Uh, how much do you make again? Great. Let me just double that for bail. Um, that that to me is an abuse. That's an abuse and an unconstitutional act. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Kevin, though, because Kevin's got a bunch of information about what's actually happening in New York because we have some bail reform going on, and some of it is scaring a lot of people. But I think some of it is misunder like misinformation, misunderstanding bail, which hopefully we've cleared up now. Um, and, and the rest of it, I think, is is showing us a, a kind of like an issue with our system. So I'll let yeah, you take right. it away. So so we're only going to the, – the criminal justice reform bill that ended up going into effect at the beginning of this year is much broader as we've kind of indicated. Yep. And so we're just going to talk about the bail reform aspect of it for now. We will eventually, I think, get to the other parts of it. Yeah. But just getting into the bail reform part because I think this is – I think this is where people misunderstand the most – how this is supposed to work. But what the bail reform did was it eliminated cash bail for most misdemeanor offenses. And the exceptions are sex offense misdemeanors and criminal contempt charges for an order of protection violation in a domestic violence case. So with the exception of those two, most misdemeanor ones are out and a lot of nonviolent felonies are out as well. And I Andrew posted a link in here. This is what I'm reading from. Is uh, It's about New York – bail reform laws from the Center for Court Innovation. I thought that was a pretty good and accurate source uh, after reading through it. Uh, but but 
Money bail and pretrial detention are eliminated for most nonviolent felonies with a few exceptions, and that's witness intimidation, tampering, conspiracy to commit murder, felony criminal contempt charges involving domestic violence, and a limited number of offenses against children, sex offenses, and terrorism-related charges. And then a few, like, uh, violent felonies are still kind of in there, but uh, for the most part, uh, those do still allow some sort of bail, um, with the exception of burglary and robbery in the second degree. Those are the only two, and and you'll hear those brought up a lot. So... That's what that's where these cases are eliminated. And again, as we've discussed how bail is used and how it's supposed to be used, again, bail is never meant to be used to keep someone in jail in that time between when they are arrested and when they go to trial. That's not what it's meant to be used for. But if you read some of the news stories about this, you would think that this is something that has been going on the entire time. So we can tackle a couple of those examples um, as we go along, but – Going on with a few more of the things is that judges are also required to consider financial resources for setting bail as well. And this is something – this actually does relate to Talk of the Town Tuesday. I know we have a theme for oh, Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah. I do want to point out that like – This is I, happening I, in your town? This is happening in your town because a lot of times it's your local town judges who are setting these things. Like when someone gets arrested for petty larceny or for burglary, a lot of times they're not seeing a county court judge or a Supreme Court judge. They're seeing their town court judge. Uh, and they were the ones who might be setting bail before. And I know last year, Andrew and I got to learn a lot about this process as yeah. we talked and vetted local judges for the Libertarian Party because we started seeing like, oh, how are they using bail? Mm-hmm. Are they using it in an appropriate way? If we have a, if we see that a judge is setting $1,000, $2,000, dollar bail for someone who's committing their first petty larceny, which is stealing something of could less than a thousand dollar, it could, could be, be a candy, a candy bar. bar. And yeah. we're like, okay, like what? Well, why is this person doing that consistently? Mm-hmm. Why is is this judge using bail in an appropriate way considering the resources of the defendant to try to get them to show up in court? Yeah. And then when we talked to judges, we could ask them like, okay, well, how do you handle these situations? And I, All right, well, we consider resources like, okay, for some people, 100 bucks is what's going to get them to show up in court. Or for some people, it's 500 bucks. Or for some people, they don't need to set bail at all. But mm-hmm. And this is before the, the reforms took place. They would say, all right, we're going to release you on your own recognizance. Again, they have connections to the community. They're going to show up. Yep. They don't need to set bail. Bail is not meant to be punitive. It's meant to get you to show up. It's meant, meant to get you to be like, all right. I don't want to lose this money or lose this uh, whatever you put up for your bondsman. Yep. You don't want to lose – A little skin in the game. That, yeah, that's a little skin in the game. And we did – and we did to Kevin's point. I mean we we had um, a, a judge who was setting what looked to be unusually high bail. Yeah. It seemed like maybe it was punitive, and so we asked a few other judges, and we found out there's kind of really no rubric or standard for it, And they, but they did believe that it was extremely high and punitive. Yeah. And uh, so – not, That's not how our criminal justice system is supposed to work. That's not how our constitution outlines our rights as individuals in that system. Yeah. All right, guys. You are listening to Radio Free New York. Uh, We're going to take a brief break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about bail reform in New York State.
Aircraft Environmental Systems proudly supports Radio Free New York. Rochester-based leaders in climate simulation chambers for America's R&D laboratories. We're experts in troubleshooting, calibrations, custom designs, and consulting for more than 40 years. Industry pioneers, we created the first-ever fleet of temperature, humidity, and altitude test chambers available to rent coast-to-coast. Trained and trusted by environmental chamber manufacturers, we are ACES. Find us at acesinc.com. Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about bail reform. We're talking about bail, the constitutionality of it, what what it was originally set to, um, and kind of what's going on here in New York. And I want to welcome you guys to the show. Anybody who's listening on the airwaves, feel free to call in. The phone number is 585-346-3000. And I want to welcome the people on the live stream as well. I see Michael in there, Dan's in there, um, and Garrett's in here. And Garrett's got a question I think is a, a a pretty good question, you know, in this discussion. And he he wants to know if you were released on recognizance um, once, but then you didn't show up. You know, can that be considered for you know subsequent crimes, even if it's you know a lesser severity? Um, and get a bench so, get a bench warrant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Start with a bench warrant. But that that question does become. You know, say you were arrested for something, you didn't show up for court. Um, maybe, maybe that gets settled, right? You you end up taking care of that. You get arrested again for something else. Do does the judge then have the ability to look back and say, well, last time you didn't show up to court, and we had to send somebody out to find you. This time I'm going to set bail to make sure you show up. Or does the new New York State law put us in a situation where it's like, oh, sorry, we can't. Yeah. So, so a couple of responses to that. Uh, th- thank you for the question, Garrett. That's a that's a wonderful question, um, and and definitely worth pondering. Uh, the the article that we posted has a couple things about that, and it's there's a section on responses to noncompliance, and I'll just read it off. It says the the new law allows courts to revoke release conditions and set new conditions, including money bail and detention, in response to specified forms of pretrial misbehavior. They include committing a new felony when the defendant was initially charged with a felony, intimidating witness, uh, persistently and willingly failing to appear at scheduled court dates, or violating an order of protection. In such cases, the court must first hold a hearing where the defendant may present evidence or cross-examine witnesses. So so there is something there about that. Um, And I would say, though, like I I don't know how that applies to like new cases that are very far apart, Mm -hmm. And, and I think that in any case, the, the judge would have to or, – or the the prosecution would have to prove like, oh, this person needs to have special conditions set for, for this. Um, and, and it's restricted rightly because if they serve time or they had already been punished for previous crimes, like this is a new set of circumstances, right? Sure. You, can't, you can't punish for what had happened in the past. This is new now. And, and I think – that that actually leads to a good segue to one of the cases that's made the most noise here in uh, in Monroe County, which is the um, Taekwon Rivera case. Right. Yeah. So Taekwon Rivera, uh, he was uh, convicted and sentenced to, I believe, ten years in jail for yep. shooting yeah. a police officer. In just the head. just got out. Yeah, and he he had just he'd gotten out uh, early. Fourteen and, at the time. Right? Yeah, he was fourteen, 14 years, years old. old. Young young guy at the time. He'd gotten out early 2019, and then a few months later, he was picked up again for selling drugs. Uh, so he was selling, selling fentanyl, serious crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as part of bail reform, he was released recently. 
So now a lot of people are, are going out and being like, look, this guy was released on bail. This is proof that the system is broken, and how can we let this guy go? What a dangerous guy. But but here's the thing is – He does have an ankle bracelet, by the yes, way. Yes, he does, and, yeah. and, and that's, that's the other thing I was going to bring up is – he was released uh, with uh, electronic monitoring, yep. um, has, which is essentially bail. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of what it it's is. It's a pre-trial condition. It, it fits the definition of bail. Yeah, and so, so, but he had committed this crime previously. This is a new crime. He was held in jail for a while and then released mm-hmm. because of the bail reforms. Uh, but, but something I want you to keep in mind with this case is if Tyquan Rivera had money, he uh, he could make bail. He yeah, would have just, just been be released. Out. Yeah. So, so what is the difference between him and someone with money who's able to make bail and get released? And that's every time you see the media or a district attorney or uh, police chiefs talking about this, think about that and say, okay, how would I feel about this case? This person who's being released because of because of quote unquote bail reform, if they were able to make bail six months ago. How would I feel differently about that? Well, it depends on what, what the bill would be set at. And presumably in the case of Taekwon Rivera, it'd be a pretty high number, I would think. Right. It might be, but yeah, because he's a he's a he's a predicate felon. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean obviously a ten years in the joint starting at age fourteen did him no good. Sure. Yeah. Well and and uh, that I think is is one of those things where once once you look at bail you know, and and you look at bail reform from '66, and it says the judges can't look at previous crimes or threats to the community when they set bail. Um, and this is where I think we start to shine a light on an issue in our criminal justice system that's always existed. This this idea that somebody um, potentially committed a crime, and there's maybe even ample evidence of it, the judge or the DA or or them combined may think. This person is dangerous to the community. What is our recourse? None exists. So they set high bail to hold them in in theory to protect the community, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt here. Um, But but there's technically no trial. It's technically punitive. um, And it's and if they have enough money. They can just get get out out anyways. Exactly. So like to me, I know within the federal system, there's some recourse for this. Like to me, it's like, okay, if someone is actually very dangerous, dangerous enough where we don't want them out in the community, if it's someone like a mass shooter, okay, sure. Sure. You know, there there should be a mechanism for being able to have pretrial detention, but it's got to be an adversarial process. It's got to be a process where like there's there's overwhelming evidence to say like this person cannot be out. But you think like people who have been accused of murder can get out on bail. Charlie Tan, another local case, got out on bail. He was able to get out by paying whatever is like fifty thousand dollar bail. He was accused of murder. Yeah. So so again, what what would be the difference between someone like that? Who's able to get out and someone who, who can't get out on bail. We're, we're highlighting these cases now, but the only difference between those two accusations is that who one has person money. has money and one yeah. person doesn't. Yep. So so this is this is one of those things that I look at and go, okay, so clearly there's a problem with the system. And and I think that one one of the glaring things that that is shining in our face right now is our guarantee and our right to a speedy trial. And I think that we've all known that this has been an issue, especially in New York, for a long time. Um, And if we had speedy trials, bail, and especially for dangerous people, would would become obsolete. 
you know, if if you had an arraignment and and a trial within a week, you know, yeah, man, like what well, was the a, point? Of, unfortunately, yeah, with the crime know. levels that we have and the the, the clogging of the courts, mm-hmm. that's just impossible. It just can't happen. Yeah, and, I mean, there, there's got to be a way to do it quick. I mean, all right, so the, another case that people brought up to me was the the case of a bank robber in Colony, right? Hmm. Uh, this guy, he. He allegedly robbed the bank, but by allegedly, I mean he's on camera clearly doing it. <laughs> um, so, but but he was also released on on bail, right? And mm-hmm. and people are like, well, do you want this guy out in the community for six, eight, twelve months before trial? I'm like, well, no, he should probably just have a quicker trial. Like yeah. that would be better. But again, he was released on bail. He mm-hmm. they you know or, or not if he was had committed this crime a year ago. He would have probably been released on bail anyway. He would have been out on community until a trial. Now, do you think Sorry. he would have used the money he took from the bank to post bail? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Can you do that? I, you know, I don't know. But, but you know, once again, highlighting issues with our criminal justice system that have always been here that we're seeing now as a result of this. And um, that – Bob hit the nail right on the head, which is how clogged up our criminal justice system is. And part of that is, I don't know if you guys remember the beginning of the show when I talked about the Virginia Constitution, I said, you know, how many laws did they have back then? A lot less. Well, English jurisprudence, you have to understand that uh, until the turn of the last century, when we went from the 1800s to the 1900s in England, uh, Criminal defendants were not allowed to take the stand in their own defense yeah. because of fear that they would perjure their mortal souls by lying on the stand to escape conviction. Uh, so so uh, this this is the, the world. This is our jurisprudential model that, that mm-hmm. our system is descended from. Well, and you also, also had to bear in mind that like until about the Civil War or somewhere around that uh, in, in England, uh, the seat of our jurisprudence, once again, most petty crimes were punishable by death. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, you would go from being charged, arraigned, tried, to dead in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is, now, is that the model we want? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, as, as nice as a quicker system is, I'm not sure that that's better. <laughs> hey, listen, to, to, you know, justice uh, delayed is justice denied, right? Yeah. 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 You're but, dead. You know, like, uh, things to consider, right, is like, you know, we've had all these, like, capital convictions over the last, like, 60, 70 years that now with, like, DNA evidence, you know, have been overturned over time. So I, I don't it's, – it's tough because in some of these very serious cases, you know, we know that – because of the speed trial, the, the the incentive for everyone to want to get the bad guy and put him away, we sometimes have misjust, uh, uh, like unjust outcomes. Yeah. So how do we how do we fix both, right? Mm. So how do we fix like getting speedier trials for these smaller crimes while also making sure that the defendant gets the due process necessary to determine guilt or innocence beyond a shadow of a doubt? A trial in every convenience store. There you go. <laughs> All right. That, that, that's where the, the judge with the little apron on. Yep, yep. All right, guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We'll be back in a moment.
Why do businesses choose to move their website from Wix and Squarespace to Simple Tech Innovations? Maybe it's their excellent customer service or attention to detail. Maybe it's their ability to give a truly customized solution. Or perhaps they just like the fact that Simple Tech is a local small business that builds great relationships with its clients. Whatever the reason may be, you can rest assured knowing that the local team at Simple Tech has your best interest in mind when building or updating your website. There hands-on and love helping customers achieve their goals. But don't take my word for it. They've won the best in Rochester eight years in a row and have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. If your website doesn't match your dreams or isn't achieving your goals, give the professionals at Simple Tech Innovations a call today for a consultation at 585-200-3182. That's 585-200-3182. Simple Tech Innovations. Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about New York State bail reform. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm going to put this statement out here. I think conservatives in general um, should really be for and behind bail reform. I, I truly believe that. Um, for for a number of reasons, one is it's not meant to be punitive, anyways, right? Which we've we've discussed. Um, but the other is, if you're a conservative, you probably believe in small government and the way bail has been used um, over decades in New York State, especially, has really made government bigger because it's been used in a punitive way to hold people in court. Um, kind of a little life hack the judges have been <laughs> using, essentially, um, which has really clogged up the system in, in a number of ways. But one, filling up the jails with which, a bunch of people. Which is expensive, too. It's very Not for nothing, expensive. but it's, it's a lot yeah. of money. Do conservatives still care about that? I, 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 I hope so. I hope you so. Know, I, a, I know I do. out there. I know you. Yeah. I know you're um, out there. And and here's here's the other thing. And Garrett actually commented in about this. So it was, it was good lead up to it. Um, he said it's not the crime level so much as the drug war clogging up the system. The war on drugs is the heart of this issue. And and I would go further than that. I would say it's not just the war on drugs. It's all these little goofy laws that we have, where New York State especially wants to control every single aspect of your life and we we have all these laws that make government bigger and somehow or one way or another bail gets imposed on people over goofy little laws that just shouldn't exist so if if you're a conservative um and and you think maybe someday the safe act might get used against you or or some other ridiculous new york state law regulation you should be looking at bail reform and being like, yeah, you know what? I want bail to be used only the way the Constitution ever intended it. Um, and, and man, I really don't want it used on me at all. You know, so I, I think don't listen to the media. They're they're really spinning this, um, at least this specific section. And, and and I say if you're a conservative, you, you should try to you know get everybody to listen to this show, hear and understand what bail is actually about, and let's let's fight over something that's important. Like let's get rid of the SAFE Act. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do want to bring up the point and again, one of the, the people who is making the most noise about the bail reformer being upset with it is a former assembly minority leader, Brian Kolb, who was recently arrested for DWI. Mm-hmm. He had 
driven his own vehicle into uh, the ditch in front of his house. Yeah, a state-funded vehicle uh, (laughs) into the ditch in front of his house. Uh, We just saw in the news before the show that he blew a .16, so Mm. twice the legal limit. Very serious crime. And and people who have been opponents of bail reform have been saying, see, because of bail reform, drunk drivers are going to be able to go out and be out on the road. We should be holding them in jail. But that's never how the system worked. And that's not how it works now. Thank goodness. Yeah. And thank for for Brian Kolb, you know, could you imagine like no one's no one's asking him to be held in jail until his trial because sure. he blew twice the legal limit because that's not how our system works. Yeah. And and allegedly did that, right? I and I'll put that out there because he hasn't been found guilty. Yep. Yep. Now he deserves a trial. It should be quick. You know, mm-hmm. he should be able to get that done and over with as soon as possible. He admitted that like he had made a mistake. Yeah. So so whatever punishment he gets, you know, that's what it is. He stepped but down as minority leader. He did yeah. step down as minority leader. Yes, although he is staying in his seat. Yeah. Um but again, the, no one I, – I don't see anyone making the argument, see, drunk drivers like him shouldn't be let out. This is the consequence of bail reform because it's happened to him now too. Yeah. He made a mistake yeah. and I, I don't want him in jail. I don't, I don't really think that that's an appropriate response to that because if he were someone who didn't have the money for it and this were under the old system and a high bail was set for this guy, he'd mm-hmm. be sitting in jail for months until his trial. Yeah. And that's not yeah. how the justice – it's expensive. It's unjust. It ain't right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say the last time I saw the numbers, which is probably about a year old now, um, so the numbers have, have changed and more than likely in New York have gone up, but it cost us about $200 a day to keep somebody incarcerated. Wow, that so, sounds low. Yeah, yeah. so that, and that's what I'm saying. It's probably, it's probably more than that. Yeah. Um, so just, just think about that. How much was that, $200 a day? $200 a day. So, I mean – so in what there are 250 inmates released from like the Monroe County Jail alone Sounds because of bail right. reform. So that's yeah. fifty thousand dollars a day that we're saving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so once again, bail reform. If you're a conservative, like this should interest you. It, you you shouldn't be worried about people getting out without bail because they were getting out with bail. That's <laughs> getting out thing. before. Yeah, and if if they weren't going to show up, I, I'll just be honest with you. You know, it, and and I know this because of following some of these trials, right? When the judge sets a bail amount, you can go to a bail bondsman and they'll post bail for you and you're only in at 10 yeah. percent. You know, so if you were going to skip town and you you weren't going to show up to trial, you'd still be able to do that. And then guess what? Now, now more resources are being used to hunt you down, try to get you all of that Um and I'm not saying that's the right thing by any means. I'm not saying people should skip out and no, no. you know abuse the system. Like that's it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the system can be abused. The system's being abused by not just bad people, but also by the people running our criminal justice system, not just yeah. on different fronts. Um, so that that's where I yeah. stand on that. And, and I don't think either Andrew or I are making the argument that like this is like set, we're done, we fixed the criminal no, justice system, no, this is no, perfect. No, not we're not ma- like no. there there could be consequences we don't see, we don't understand, and, yep. and changes need to be made to the system. We kind of already mentioned one like 
if there isn't already, there there ought to be a system in which like legitimately dangerous people can be held pre-trial. Absolutely, hundred percent. Where's the rub, I, though? Though, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what's uh, what's uh, what's dangerous? I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's well, got to be how clearly to defined. There's got to be like a rubric or a scale or something too. But the, you know, here's what the age-old debate is. You know, you, you can ha- you can either have wide judicial discretion or you can have very narrow or no d- judicial mm-hmm. discretion, where the judge says, "I have no." Uh, type yeah, one Rivera. I have yeah. I have no alternative but to let you go, mm-hmm. and the, the best I can do is impose electronic monitoring. Yeah, yeah, yep. Is that the solution? Is that going to work? I don't know. I I, I, don't I personally know. come down in most cases on the side of wider judicial ex- discretion mm-hmm. because the judges are familiar with each individual case. Yep, and uh, I think you know you, you keep the justice. The, the, the imposition of justice as close to the facts as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm totally fine with um, judicial discretion the same way I, I appreciate when officers have discretion. You know, when the state takes away discretion, I, I typically have an issue with that. Um, I would just say the discretion should should be there. But also if we're going to have bail or any of those things. It needs to be used correctly, yeah. which historically and, speaking, it, it hasn't been. And, and, and there's a reason why this law is put in place too, that why we need changes to the bail system because that judicial discretion was being abused, that uh, judges were using this system in an inappropriate way that was so systematic that we needed a, an overhaul of, of how we approach bail in New York State. And it became a norm. I mean, yeah. that's that's how, how much it was used. And, and New York's not the first to do this. No, no. Um, it's, so it's, it's also happened. So these, these reforms took place like last year in mm-hmm. New Jersey. Uh, they took place in previous years in Texas and North Carolina. So this isn't a new system. New York is actually surprisingly behind behind <laughs> in, in terms of criminal justice reform uh, which is interesting on a state that provides itself uh, uh, prides itself on being so progressive in so yeah. many ways or whatever but I, I, but I don't see this as a progressive issue I and don't either you know I, I actually see this as an issue that conservatives should have been pushing for for a long time libertarians yeah. I think have been pushing for it for yeah, a long time just for individual rights have taken notice of this system and how like it empowers the government more and takes away rights from individuals yeah Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. So that is Radio Free New York today. Tomorrow we're going to have Adam Kokesh on the show. He's running for president in 2020. It's going to be a very interesting interview. I don't think anybody has a platform like his. So uh, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. Same place.